Well, hey, guys. I tell you what, so I think perhaps the greatest joy in my life is being a father. I just love it. And so uh, my older two, they graduated from high school, and they work second shift, so they're not home as much. And so there's those times where their schedules work out. And just as a dad, I love having everybody home. I love having everyone in the house. And so it feels like that a little bit today. It's like, you know what? We got all the kids here, and uh, it's just good. So it's awesome to do this. So, my goodness, Vision Sunday. The, uh, so normally when I do a Vision Sunday, a lot of times we'll do kind of like, here's who we are as a church. You know, here's kind of the 30,000-foot view of what we want to see God do with us in the next 10 years. You know, here's what we're building. Here's how you can come in your destiny if you help us build what you're building, those type of things. We've done, I've done several of those messages. I love them. We've got them recorded. They usually last about an hour, 15, hour and a half. So I'm not doing that today. And so I really feel like today I'm supposed to do more of a seasonal word. Like what is, what's actually happening? The Lord kind of gave me a, a vision, and so I'm going to talk about that. But just, just big picture before we go into this season, just so you know what we're about. I mean, just to, to take an hour and a half and put it really quickly is we're about transform people who transform cities. That is what we are about. The thing that wakes me up in morning excited, the thing that our staff is passionate about is seeing you come into your destiny. I see, uh, you know, you, if you think of a hammer and a chisel, you know, you can use people to carve out a great church or you can use church to carve out a great people. And we really want to use church to carve out a great people. We see ourselves as uh, spiritual archaeologists, kind of looking, sifting through the dirt and finding the buried treasure in there and calling that to the surface. And so that's really what we're about. Yeah, amen. So our vision is you being amazing in your sphere of influence, whether that be like, you know, uh, I mean, one of the, probably the most underrated revivalists in history is Susanna Wesley. She was a mom and she raised two world changers. And so, I mean, like, like whatever your assignment is, whatever your lane, we want you to be intimate with Jesus, to just enjoy him but to be able to bring kingdom into that sphere so that we see cities change. So we love that. I mean, we, we could, I mean, I've got so many analogies. You know, we're, a, you know, we're the opposite of the NFL. The NFL practices all week to play on Sunday. You know, we, pra- we uh, practice on Sunday to play all week. I've mean, I got, I got so many of those things. And so that's the, the, the Sturk. We'll be talking about Sturk just for a moment today. And uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, um, you, you'll find out quickly here. So, but today's a, a different kind of message. So I'm going to do part of the message, and then you guys are going to do part of the message. Does that sound good? Everybody's blood pressure just go up? All right, there we go. All right, here's what we're going to do. So here's what, I, here's what happened. I, I was praying just like, Lord, what do you want to do? I was, picture, I was planning on kind of doing a, a vision message. It's typically what we do. And as I was praying, I got this picture of, uh, of a person climbing a mountain. And they had those little stakes. I think they're called Tetons. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. They, um, am I pronouncing it right? Any, any mountain climbers here? Petons. Hold on. What? Is, what? Petons. Okay, there we go. Petons. There we go. I hope I didn't just say something bad again. I did that two weeks ago. That was humiliating. And so uh, I'm not going to tell you what I said. But <laughs> you know what? This is not a good start. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was practicing this morning reading a verse, and I said another bad word. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I was saying the word city, and it rhymed with that. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I don't even use that word. So, pitons. Pitons. I'm going to be so careful today. I know. You know what? Rewind. Start the tape. Here we go. Hey, everybody. So good to see you guys here on Vision Sunday. So, I'm praying. Have this. Uh, have this picture come to me. I'm a person climbing a mountain, putting in those metal stakes. 
<laughs> you know which ones I'm talking about. And uh, there had already been several laid there, and they were, uh, as they were ascending this mountain, they were, they were putting in new ones. And I feel like the Lord said, you know, we've already put several stakes in this mountain, and what that does, it makes it easier for people to climb. They don't have to take the time and find the footholds. They've already done that. But there's, in this next season, I feel like there's three metal stakes that God wants us to uh, put in. And so I'm going to be talking about those. Um, in the past, I've, described, I've used terms that nobody else uses, and the reason no one else uses them is because they're so ridiculous, no one's going to copy them. And so we don't have to trademark some of the things that we do around here because they're foolish. They're, they're, no one is going to steal. So one of them was, uh, we, uh, we call this a Supernatural Transforming, Equipping, and Releasing Center, or a STIRC. Um, you know, no one's, it's, it's, it's not that catchy. I don't know, it just works for Zion for some reason. So we did that. And then if you remember, uh, the extended family on a mission, e-foam. Like, like, nobody is out there stealing it, like making e-foam t-shirts, making a bunch of money off of these ideas, okay? And so um, today I actually have the, uh, the season in one sentence, and it's one of those things, it's ridiculous. It is, it, like, I, I said it kind of as a joke in staff, I'm like, Oh my goodness, I think I'm going to use that. So I'm going to tell it to you at the end, but just know, oh yeah, hey, can we pass out those handouts? We, we've got handouts for everybody, so it's going to help you do your half of the sermon. So thank you, ushers and usherettes. Oh man, this is a good looking crew here. I tell you what, man, this is nice, nice. All right, here's, uh, so we're going to look at three words to describe this season. The first one is abide. The first one is abide, okay? In the old covenant, God would visit his people, Okay? Under the new covenant, God came and he decided to live inside of his people and stay. This is a really big deal. I think some of you are like intellectual, like, yeah, yeah, we already know that. So I want to read you a couple verses just to describe the seismic shift that's taken place. Because you have to understand, in the Old Testament, they, they had a visitation from God. He was like an uncle from out of town. He would come and visit and then he would leave. Okay? So many people are still living as if we are in a visitation culture. As if, you know, God comes based on our performance, and when we're bad, he decides to leave, okay? And so we, we are going to have to make a seismic shift here. So let me just read you a couple verses. John chapter 14, verse 23, this is the words of Jesus. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Romans 8, verses 9 and 11. I'm just, I'm just trying to just give you some context. This isn't just like in one place. This is throughout the New Testament. Um, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Rome. Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, or has made his home in you, or has made his abode in you, has made his habitation in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He quickens you. He's going to you know, strengthen you in your development. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are the temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? What was it made, that made the temple the temple? It was that God's presence dwelled in there. In the Old Testament, they had physical buildings that did it. He's saying, now you are that building. You are the place where God himself dwells. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16. For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Last one, Ephesians 2, verse 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You are the habitation of God. God does, in, in your life, God does not just show up anymore. 
He doesn't just like all of a sudden, like I, I'm here because you're good, and now that you're bad, I'm going to leave. And I'm telling you, many Christians, we live as if God, we're still in that visitation culture rather than a habitation culture. The Old Testament was a visitation culture. Um, Israel, they had a visitation and uh, an experience of God. They would repent, and God would draw near to them, and then they would go into idol worship and sin, and then God would leave. They kind of had this yo-yo existence with God. He's there, and then he's not. He's there, and then he's not. Can anyone else relate to this? I mean, I tell you, I I lived a good deal of my life on this uh, religious yo-yo, that God's presence in my life was based on my performance. When I performed well, I had confidence in my performance. When I didn't behave well, you know, it was like, you know, that's a prison where Jesus has visitation rights. It's not a marriage where he said, I'll never leave you, I'll forsake you. Okay? Jesus delivers us from that frame of reference. We have a habitation culture. When I say habitation culture, he has come and made his home in you. You are the new home address of God. He gets mail inside of you. He's not the uncle from out of town who's coming to visit. He's decided to stay, and he ain't leaving. He brought his stuff with him, his gifts, his fruit, his wisdom, his strategy, his creativity. He brought all of that and decided to stay inside of you, and he's not going anywhere regardless of your performance. When you don't really believe that, what happens is you begin to act as if you're back in the Old Testament and there's a visitation culture and begin to invent ministries that say things like this. I hope God shows up today. Or let's be desperate for God. Listen, I understand what people mean desperate for God. I understand a hunger to experience everything that he's paid for. Okay, But when you're desperate for something, um, a person in the desert is desperate for water. Desperate implies that I may not get it. Boy, I sure hope something happens, but there's a chance that it might not. Um, People who are lonely are desperate for a relationship. Can you imagine how unhealthy my marriage would be with my bride, Mary, if um, she says, listen, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. And as soon as she was out of my sight, I can't feel her presence. I can't see her. She's probably cheating on me. She's probably leaving me. She's left me. I got to do something to get her back. And there was this constant insecurity. Some of you have dated people like this before. Where are you? Why aren't you texting me back? Many people bring that in their relationship with God. I can't hear him. I can't feel him. Why isn't he texting me back? What's happening here? You've moved yourself back into a visitation culture of the Old Testament. I've got such good news for you. He ain't going anywhere. When he said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, he wasn't kidding. He wasn't being sarcastic. He was creating a world that you and I get to live in, but we have to abide in that reality. I'm not desperate for God. I'm too busy being delighted in him. Tweet, tweet. So the primary response of us as believers to this new reality is called abiding. John chapter 15, this is Jesus, verses 7 and 9. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I can't even, like, that's just too much. I mean, just, let's just enjoy that one. Entering into the reality of it, that's, that's going to take a little bit. Then Jesus said this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Okay, so he's got this reality where I'm coming and living inside of you, and he's saying, now you live in this reality. Occupy this. Dwell together. Live together intimately in this reality. Abiding is all about learning how to stay connected to Jesus. 
It's remaining aware of the reality of a God who never leaves. It means to stay in a place of relationship and expectancy in whatever situation you find yourself in. So abiding is not this casual thing like, yeah, he's here, he's somewhere in the room. It's, it's this intentionality, it's this focus, it's this anticipation, like who is he going to be for me in this situation? See, seeking the Lord um, in the old covenant was like, seek the Lord while he may be found because there's a time when he might not be. We're pursuing the Lord, we're chasing him as if he's running away. That's the old covenant. You're not chasing God, he's not trying to get away from you. You're not trying to find him as if he's lost. You're seeking him because he promised he's in the situation. So now I'm see, see, you are in Christ, so whatever circumstance you're in, good or bad, he's in there with you. You're in a habitation culture. He is dwelling within you. And so now I'm seeking the wisdom. I'm seeking the strength. I'm seeking the energy, the grace. I'm seeking whatever he wants to be for me in the situation. I'm abiding in that reality. I'm living intimately with him. And when I don't feel it, I don't suddenly move into my feelings. Where did he go? I'm not hearing from him. I must have done something wrong. What do I have to do to get him back? If I believed I had to perform for my wife in order to get her love, we would not be in covenant. Death do us part. I'm here until the end. Okay? And God is not a man that he should lie. Okay? I mean, this is, this is such good news. You are the habitation of God. So... And this next season, we have got to learn to not just amen the truth, but to actually step into the reality of moment by moment, circumstance by circumstance, relationship by relationship, we're communing with him. We're enjoying him. We're drawing strength from him. We are aware of who he, uh, seeking, again, looks like, who do you want to be for me in this situation? Father, what do I need to draw from that invisible realm that you've already paid for so that I can represent you in a real way? You guys getting the picture? This year, um, we're going to hit this from a multiple different angles until you're abiding by accident, okay? But we've got, we've got to nail this metal spike in the wall. So if you've got your pieces of paper, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to take, uh, I want you to take two minutes here and just answer these questions with the Lord. The first three are really kind of the same question. They're helping you kind of get at the reality. And then the second one is really powerful. And then I'm going to have you guys uh, maybe just share them with each other, all right? So uh, two minutes. Um, hey, babe, can you get my phone out? I don't have my timer. Thanks. Two minutes. And so for those of you uh, listening or watching, here's the questions. What's going on in your life? Where are you with the Lord right now? What's he doing with you? That's kind of the same questions, getting at the same thing. And then really the second one, who does God want to be for you right now that he couldn't be at any other time? So just between you and the Lord, just pick those out. If you did not get a, a piece of paper and you want one, if you could just raise your hand, we'll, we'll get you one here.
Okay, here's what I'd like you to do is um, maybe introduce yourself to the person next to you if you don't know them. And uh, just in no more than like uh, groups of three, just, hey, just share what God's dealing with you in this area. Just kind of where you're at and what you'd like to see God be for you, what it, the answers to those questions. So go for it. We'll take another two minutes on that. All right, if you haven't switched people, switch now. Let someone else talk. Ten seconds. All right, let's bring it back in here. Before I move on to that second spike, before I move on to that second word, I just want to say this. You guys know we are always pushing for the more. We are always pushing to experience greater reality of God. And so... um, what I'm, what I'm guarding against is that tendency of, I need one more thing to happen in my life before I can move forward, okay? And so uh, it doesn't mean God's not going to bless you. It doesn't mean you're not going to get another prophetic word. It doesn't mean that God's not going to, you're not going to encounter him in some special way. That's all part of, our, part of our life. But if we constantly see ourselves in need of one more thing, 
we're never going to lead people into the king and the kingdom because we're always going to be the one on the, on the receiving end of the prayer line. We're always thinking, I'm the one who has needs, and so I can't take anybody here. Okay, we're, listen, we're, we're all needy. We're all dependent on the Lord. But if we recognize, listen, he's here. And so I'm, I'm going I'm to abide in that reality. He promised he'd give me whatever I need for the situation. We can move forward. All right, second word, abound. Abide was the first word. Second word is abound. So I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And you just need to know this. The context of this verse is on finances. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, two whole chapters dealing with nothing but finances and giving. Okay, so you ready for this verse? And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Did you guys notice like how pregnant with promise that verse is? Like all the alls, alls and the everies and the abounding here. Let me read it again. And God is able to make all grace the grace for you to be able to abound financially. That's what he's talking about here. Boy, the kids are excited, or someone just got delivered. <laughs> My goodness. Child, come out of that demon. <laughs> yep. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. True prosperity is having more than enough. That's an abundance. But he's actually taking it to another level here. The idea here is that you would abound unto every good work. So here's the picture, is that you have so many streams of income coming into your life that whenever, I'm sure you've been in a service before where they've taken an offering for a missionary or maybe there's been like a single mom and you thought, man, I wish I could give, I just don't have the money. I'm sure everyone has, at some point in their life has experienced that. What this verse is saying is Jesus has paid for it and wants us to press into the level so that any need that comes across our path, we have an abundance and can give to every good work that comes across our path that we have a heart for. I don't know about you, that sounds fun, delicious. Listen, gang, if this verse isn't true, John 3.16 is not true. This is what was part of this is what was paid for on the cross. So here's my definition of prosperity. You have no financial debt, yea God, and you have more than enough money to fulfill every divine assignment God has for you and enough left over to help others fulfill their divine assignment. I'm not into this craziness of prosperity where you know everyone's got to have a different car for every day of the week, although that sounds like fun. You know, it's, not every Christian's going to be a zillionaire. The idea is you have enough money that you can represent the goodness of God. And in your lane, in your assignment, you can fulfill the will of God and be generous in that lane. How many of you guys know that um, abundance for Joseph in prison looked different than it did when he was in the palace? There's different seasons. Abundance in the prison looked like there was a grace and a favor on his life that would exalt him to be ruler over the rest of the prisoners. Okay, so just recognize, you know, uh, prosperity is going to look different for someone in a third world country and their assignment and their lane as it is for somebody to call to reach Hollywood. Okay, so we just... just and I'm not into this craziness of, the, of, listen, I know there's been bad teaching on prosperity. There's been bad teaching on heaven too, and I still plan on going there. Why do you think the enemy has fought against healing and prosperity so hard? Because if the enemy can keep you sick and poor, he's going to severely limit your destiny. Okay? Listen, I got a whole book on this stuff. We're going to be doing a seminar here. Just like I can't, I can't go into all of it, but I started getting really feisty because... Poverty is an inside job. You can be poor, but you don't have to have poverty. Okay, poverty is this inside condition where there's always an expectation of something going wrong. There's a hopelessness. I'm not here to talk about that. Okay, 
Um, <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is your money or your lack of money is not necessarily a reflection of how much you love God and how much he loves you. Okay, there's, there's different seasons, there's all sorts of things, and so it's not that. But um, so money, you having money is not a, sac- uh, a lack of you having money is not a sign of your godliness, but poverty is not a sign of your godliness either. I feel like there's been a, there's been a teaching where it's like, it's godly to just be barely making enough. So I'm completely dependent on God. Listen, gang, the poorest way to help the poor is to be poor. Okay, okay. I mean, if, if poverty was a good thing, then why did Jesus say give to the poor? I, I, can't, I mean, I've got so many of these little things I could rattle off. I'm not going to do it. But I'm not just interested in people getting out of the red. I also want them to get in the black. So here's what that looks like for me, okay? This is my personal goals for Zion, okay? That means you all own homes outright, no debt. There is no debt in your life. It means that you all have multiple streams of income so that when a need comes your way, you have a stream that can meet it. It means you think in terms of investment and advancement. It means that we will leave an inheritance to our children's children. So here's what needs to happen is we... um, in slavery, there's absolutely no hope. Um, the children of Israel, they were in slavery. There was no hope of advancement. There was, no, there was no thinking of that. And God moved them out of that to the wilderness. And in the wilderness, there was miracles to provision, but there was never more than enough. Okay? There's lesson, you have to learn the lessons of the wilderness before you move into the promised land. The lesson of the wilderness is completely trusting God and, um, through lack Okay? You have to learn the lessons of lack because those things shape you to be able to hand, handle prosperity and abundance well. So if you're in this season, don't despise the season of the wilderness. Enjoy the lessons of intimacy. Enjoy the lessons of supply. But listen, the stories I loved growing up as a kid, you know, we'd hear these missionaries and they'd tell stories that look like this. You know? You know, there's this missionary family and they sit down and they have no food in the house, and they would set the table for the food, and they would sit down, and they would hold hands, and they would pray. And as they said amen, there would be a knock on the door. Whoa, hell is my... There would be a knock on the door, and someone would be there with bags of groceries, and they would give... I mean, we, we, I love those stories. We need those stories. We also need to be the people who knock on the door and provide it. Okay? For some people, they believe the highest level of living is for them to just barely make it and trust in God. Okay? Learn the miracles of provision are great, but once they entered the promised land, the miracles of the manna, the water, the cloud, the, the fiery cloud, all this, it stopped, and God began to bless the work of their hands. Now the miracles were for advancement. They weren't for survival. God wants to take you from the miracles of survival, learning those lessons of trust, learning no one can take better care of me than dad. You have to learn those lessons so that when you get here, you're... Sometimes a blessing comes along. Listen, the Bible says this. I can't, my goodness. I've been working on this stuff so long on money. I, I don't want to go into it too much. Proverbs says, don't pursue money. If you pursue money, it grows wings and flies away. Instead, pursue wisdom. And when you pursue wisdom, it says money will be attracted to you. So here's what can happen in the promised land. Is as you're pursuing the Lord and God is blessing you with it, you can get your eyes off of pursuing wisdom and hearing his voice. You can be turning your eyes towards the blessing. And the very thing that was meant to be a blessing in your life can become a golden calf. Okay? That's why you have to learn these lessons over here in the wilderness so that when the abundance begins to be poured out, you still got that trust. Some people ask this question, how much is too much money? Um, whatever is that dollar amount that makes you no longer trust in God. For some people, it's a thousand bucks. For some people, it's a hundred million. 
But whatever that amount is, that's, that's too much money. When you begin to turn your heart and your affections, you begin to go into a defensive mode of protection. I'm not saying we don't set up wise things, but I'm saying the heart condition of hoarding. I've got to protect this thing rather than, Father, what are you saying with what we're going to do with our money? Moving from the wilderness to the promised land. We're thinking in terms of extending the boundaries of the kingdom in business and government and arts and education. We're not on defense. I'm talking about breaking the cycles of systemic poverty. I'm talking about breaking those generations of people who have been on welfare, who just have no hope. I want our city to be a place where everyone who wants a job can have one. And it will fulfill them. And they will be able to provide for their families and enjoy the goodness of God. I'm looking for every person who calls himself a Zionier to commit to the fullness of what God intended for them. But here's the thing I'm really after. What my heart really burns for is in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, go into all the world, go into all the world and make disciples. He actually wants us to make disciples of entire nations, not just disciples in nations. He gave an interesting plan to do it. He said, go make disciples. If you understand how he made disciples, is he ravished them with the kingdom of God he would demonstrate God's kingdom in such a way that people became so hungry for it that they were willing to leave everything else to follow him. How do we make disciples? By people seeing God's goodness in such a way that they're saying, if that's what God is like, I'll do anything to have a king like that. Make disciples. Then he said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Here's how you do that. Jesus says, if you make the tree right, then the fruit will be right. You're not supposed to try to obey commandments. You're to become the kind of person who easily and routinely does the things that Jesus says. Through intimacy, God begins to change your inside so that your behavior flows out of that. Then he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing someone in the name of something is not just a formula that you pronounce over somebody. It's entering into the reality. So here's the picture. One of the ways we make disciples is by immersing people in the reality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Experiencing his presence in a real rich way, a tangible way so that they say, I know this thing is real. So many people teach against, oh, subjective experiences and that. Gang, as the water surrounded your body, he's saying, I want you to recognize you've entered into the reality of the Trinity that you're surrounded by this. Begin to abide in that reality. That's how we make disciples. Not take this class and fill in these blanks on these notebooks. You are a disciple to the point that you are connected to the vine. If I'm discipling somebody, it's not like I have this black belt and I'm now this expert passing out these goodies on discipleship. I'm, a dis- I'm a discipling you to the point where I'm helping you connect to Jesus. You connect to the vine. Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. Uh, we read this every week in our declaration. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. This is a prayer for blessing. It's actually legal for you to seek blessing. I kind of like that when I figured that one out. Here's the reason why, though, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. One of the most selfish things a a Christian can do is to not seek after blessing. What if prosperity isn't optional? What if you are actually obligated to be blessed? When God only provides for your needs, the world will never have a revelation of an abundant father. If God does not put his hand on your life and bless you, no one's going to know what dad is like. It is so selfish for you to just be worried about you and just meeting your needs when the world needs to see what he's really like. And he says, pray this prayer, bless you and cause his face to shine upon you. 
me read it again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That's living in the reality of the smile of God. If you've ever seen a grandparent looking at a grandchild with those kind eyes and that bright countenance, that's the shining face of God upon his people. God bless me. Let me live in light of a happy Jesus. Happy Jesus ruins a lot of theology. <laughs> and when you begin to live in the light of his blessing and the light of a, of a shining countenance, here's the result. You ready? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Gang, that sounds like revival to me. What if the greatest revival awaiting this country is God's goodness coming upon his people in a demonstrable, measurable way so that the nations look at it and they go, ah, that's what God's like. Our attitude should be this. God, put your hand a blessing on my life so that people will see what you're like. They're not going to know what you're like unless your blessing is upon me. I don't know, Jim. This sounds like a bless me club. Well, Christianity ain't a curse me club, in case you haven't figured it out. And exactly what's wrong with a bless me club? Because Christians, when we get blessed, we just give it away. The Bible says we are blessed to be a blessing. Are you ready for this download? Are you ready for this heavy revy? Are you ready for this? In order for you to be a blessing, you have to first be blessed. Jim, I just want enough to provide for me and my family. Okay. That's the spirit of stupid. <laughs> Getting married to the spirit of ignorance. And them having children. Oh, it sounds so whole. I just want enough. I'm not selfish. You are selfish. If you just want enough for you and your family when there's an entire world out there in need. Margaret Thatcher, um, the Prime Minister of England, she said something brilliant. No one would have remembered the Good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money as well. You're obligated to be blessed. And I'm not talking about building your own empire. Blessing is not just primarily measured in dollars. It's measured in favor. It's measured in integrity. It's measured in creativity. It's measured in excellence. It's measured in open doors. It's measured in strategies, okay? But as you're pursuing wisdom and God's giving you those things, money's a byproduct. It's going to follow you. I, we're going to do a seminar on this, I promise. God is looking for people who love not the world so he can give them the world. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God. Oh, religion loves it when that person seeks first the kingdom of God, but they hate it when all these things shall be added to you happens in their life. Religion loves it when someone humbles themselves under the mighty hand of God. We love that. And the next part says, so then God will lift them up. Ooh, I don't know about that. Who's that person think they are? Jim, God is interested in evangelizing the nations and missions. It's true. You'll just have a louder voice if you're blessed. People need to see the hand of God encountering people in goodness. They need to see families where a husband and wife like each other. They need to see families where the kids actually enjoy spending time with their parents. They need to see people whose businesses work in any economy. Okay, they need to see the goodness of God in people's lives. What an amazing prayer. I mean, it's basically, God, shine your face upon me. Let me live in the reality of how awesome you are and how loving you are towards me. Put your hand of blessing on me so people will see what you're like. And when that happens, nations will come to you. Here's my declaration. Oh, in case you haven't noticed, 
We talk about the goodness of God a whole bunch in here. And if you haven't noticed, most of Columbus is not here to listen. They ain't coming for our sermons. They're sleeping in because they stayed up to watch Floyd Mayweather defeat McGregor last night. Sorry if I spoiled it for you. That's what happened. I called it in the ninth round TKO. It actually happened in the 10th, but I was close. They ain't coming to church. So how is God's saving power among all the nations going to happen? It's going to happen through God's goodness on your life and you being a walking demonstration of that in their lives. In your lane, in your assignment, that's how they're going to see it. They ain't coming in here. You come in here to encounter God, to be equipped and trained so that you can go and show. We're not a come and see ministry. Oh, if we could just get them to church, if we could just get them to church. You, are, you is the church. So it's not come and see, it's go and show. Here's my declaration over Columbus, Jeremiah 33, 9. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. God's saying, this city will be known for my goodness and they will tremble and shake, not because I'm a big scary dude, but because of how good I am. Dang. That's my prayer. I actually posted that and someone, I, I literally just posted the scripture this morning and someone like came against it. I had to delete their comment. I'm like, it's a verse. Like, like it's, it's not like, hey, here's an opinion. Here's a neat idea I just came up with. It's a scripture. So take out your sheets of paper, and I want you to spend some time with the Lord. What's going on with you and the Lord and your money? If you believe God wants to prosper you so that you can be more generous, what do you feel is your biggest hindrance? Just between you and the Holy Spirit. And um, what kind of thoughts and feelings come to mind when someone talks about prosperity or abundance? Okay, so I want you to take two minutes with the Lord. Go for it.
All right, why don't you guys just take a few minutes and uh, just kind of discuss those with your neighbor. Switch people if you haven't switched yet.
All right, all you extroverts, 20 seconds. All right, so the first word is abide, the second word is abound. And just so you know, we're going to be doing a, a seminar called God's Power to Create Wealth here at Zion. It's going to be on a Saturday. At Pickerington, it's going to be Saturday, September 9th. Uh, for Powell, it's going to be Saturday, September 21st. No, 23rd, 23rd. And so I'm begging you guys to come to that. Like, I, I'm begging you. I feel like so long as, uh, you know, Growing up, the only financial training I had from churches was tithes and offerings. And uh, you cannot tithe and offering your way into wealth. Okay? And so I feel like so many times we've, we've, we've told people you should prosper, but we haven't told people how to prosper. So um, this is a seminar on uh, God's power to create wealth. Actually, how do you prosper in the kingdom? So, okay, so it's all new material. Well, it's 80% new material, but it's good stuff. Because so, the, the 20% was still good. All right, you guys ready? The third world, the third word. Mm. Help me, Jesus. I'm getting my merds wixed, so. All right, third word, ephom. Ephom, extended family on a mission. It's interesting, the first structure God ever created was family. He started with a family when he wanted to bring his purposes to planet Earth. Family was God's idea. The first time that uh, the Lord really spoke to me about this, uh, I went on a missions trip. And if you've ever gone on a missions trip, lots of interesting things happen to your bowels, and lots of other things happen too. And so you find yourself getting really close to a group of people that you would not have normally got close to. You, you, somehow you become a family in that 10 to 14 day period. You're getting each other's backs, you're struggling together, you're praying together, you're warring together, you're all going after a common purpose to touch a region, right? So I came home from this uh, trip, and I found myself longing to spend time with the people I had just done life with in that intensive environment. And I was just kind of reflecting on it. I felt like the Lord told me, this is what church is supposed to be like. It's supposed to have that feeling of an extended family on a mission. So I think that there's a phrase that goes around, let's do life together. And um, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on that. You know, it's, uh, let's do some of life together. We don't need to do all of life together. We're not going to like get a big giant commune, you know, and... Uh, no. And so, um, but uh, community are the seeds. Community is the soil where the kingdom seeds grow. Okay? It's love God and love people. People are like, oh, yeah, love God. I'll just move to, you know, stay in the redwoods all day. Sorry, Cheryl and I had a discussion about this. <laughs> and um, listen, man, loving God is easy. <laughs> you don't know that you need... The fruit of the Spirit, when he's mentioned, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the fruit of the Holy Spirit grows in you. The, uh, just to get a little technical here, that, that command is the people in the second person plural, which means the fruit of the Spirit is grown in community. It's not grown in your prayer closet. I can think that I'm patient until I get around some of you. <laughs> and then God shows me, you know what? Whoa, I need to depend on God in this situation because this thing isn't formed in me yet. And if you don't have those people in your life, we actually have a list in the office. We can actually assign them to you. No, we don't have that, no. Terrible joke. 
family is at, you're like, am I on that list? Yes. If you're wondering, it is you. Yes. <laughs> family is actually God's plan to change the world. When Jesus was thinking about how to extend the kingdom on earth, he didn't start a corporation. He didn't start uh, a university. He didn't start a sports camp. He, he started a family. And he had an interesting plan here. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up into the hills and invited those he wanted to be with him, and they came to him. What was the first part of his plan? Is the be with Jesus plan. They were to be with Jesus, and they were to be with each other, and that was his plan to form this extended family. They enlisted in this little platoon that would eventually change the world. That, that was his plan, the, the, the be with plan. And so it's interesting, when they get to the book of Acts, they weren't like, okay. Uh, and when they get to the book of Acts, they're like, you know what? We see what Jesus did. We were with him, we were with each other, and out of that, uh, they began to say these things about the disciples. Is those people who have turned the world upside down, oh no, they've come to our city as well. What happened is Jesus, he invested his life in a group of people, and people are still coming. So I had a prophet speak to me a, a word, and um, you know what, I don't, I don't like totally love sharing these kind of words that are like super lofty, but uh, he said this, he said, he said, Jim, there's going to be 5,000 people in Zion, and that you will be sowing churches of 500. That's not like fun. He said, but in order for God to release that, you have to father differently. The way that we do discipleship at Zion has to look differently. We have to father differently. He said, Jesus invested himself in three people. He said this, when you, what you do for the few, they will bring thousands. And, so, um, and he, so he said, Jesus invested in the three, and they're still coming to Jesus as a result of it. Okay. Boy, there's an invitation there for us to look at this thing right. Fathering and mothering is when you pour your life out so that others can succeed. We've never been about building a, a big ministry here. What are you guys laughing at? Did I just do something again? Oh, okay, all right. Okay, I'm like, what did I say? All right. I'm just, I'm just going to shield myself from the staff here. My rod and staff are supposed to confront, comfort me here, but they are. <laughs> what am I talking about? E-foam. Fathering, mothering. Parents do things for kids when no one's looking so that they can succeed. They pour themselves out for the success of another generation. There's a phrase that we use around here that we love, is we want our ceiling to be their floor. My, uh, my dad paid a price through generosity and went through struggles early on in his marriage and, 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 their, and their finances and was able to pass something down to my sister and I where those things, we didn't have to deal with them in our hearts. That we were able to, they were, there was an inheritance that was left. Okay? Um, we want to do that in every area of life for our kids, but we want to do it for people that we're investing in as well. There has to be a way that we're actually investing in life and not just doing a program. We're not just, the goal is not to show up. To, we got a group and we had people show up to a group. The goal is that the group becomes a family where the lives begin to get entwined, where we can know and be known. The masks come off. We can love and be loved. We can serve and be served. We can celebrate and be celebrated. It's a place where nobody stands alone. It's a place where there's always room for one more. It's not this us for no more. Sorry, people. Book of Acts says this, every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts. I want you to notice this. The Holy Spirit did not come at any point in history and say, okay, 
Now that things are going so well, we're going to switch the way we do church. Now at church, when you talk about church, what you're going to do is you're going to think of one big building where you go once a week for a service, and everything else is optional. Maybe no one will ever get to know you. Maybe you will never get to know your heart. They'll never discover your spiritual gifts. You never get to serve with people and grow together. There's never this plan like, hey, we're going to be with Jesus and be with each other, but now we're going to do this once a week thing, and um, you know, hey, if you find the right church, maybe you can be out in an hour. As if that, I like some people, that's like their selling point. It's like, hey, we, you know, like, hey, home with the, like the 5% tithe, you know, it's like, what? I'm like, what is that? It doesn't even mean anything. <laughs> At no point in history did he say, church is no longer supposed to be, be the be with plan. Okay? Nowhere, um, where in the New Testament do you see Jesus approaching someone and saying, listen, I want you to follow me. I'm putting together this little band of disciples and I want you to be one of them. But hey, I know you're busy. I, don't, I know you don't really have time to be part of a smaller group, a little platoon. Plus, some of the disciples can be kind of a pain. Peter, he talks too much. Thomas is pretty negative. Judas, don't even get me started on Judas. They're not normal like you and me, okay? So you can follow me offline. You can skip the community part. Just make sure you read the text. Make sure you attend the lectures. You can do discipleship on the self-study plan. Where in the New Testament did Jesus ever come to somebody and switch to that plan? Um, never, just in case you want. Where was that one? I, that sounds pretty good. No, no, it's not in there. <laughs> Before his uh, ascension, he basically says this. He says, uh, extend my community. Go, go into all the world. I'll be with you. Community is the soil in which the seeds of the kingdom grow. And so I, I got a challenge for us. I want everyone to enlist in a little platoon. It doesn't have to be our groups, but you need to find a group of people and it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen because you signed up and you showed up and you all brought food. It, is, it, you know, it, it takes a little time for hearts to form, but it's worth paying the price. It's worth paying the price for that person where there's extra grace required for that person. We need those in our lives. And so, like again, I'm not saying everyone has to be join a, we call them missional community groups, although I'm thinking of changing them to e-foam groups just in case anyone's religious, it'll just, they'll just hate it. So I'm not saying everyone has to join an e-foam group. I'm not trying to put pressure on you, but I am trying to paint a picture biblically that you need to find some people that you can have as an extended family that you're on a mission together. And so uh, e-foam groups are kind of our version of it. Okay, take out your sheets of paper. Final activation. What's going on? What was going on in your life that brought you to Zion? And if my life is a book, what is the chapter about right now? And if you're not enjoying this chapter, what does your next chapter look like? All right, just take two minutes with the Holy Spirit there, and then we'll uh, move on.
All right, why don't you get with your neighbor here? If you haven't switched yet, go ahead and switch. Seconds. All right, let's bring them back together. Let's wrap this thing up. Are you guys ready for the vision message in one sentence? I really believe this is the marching orders for the church. You guys ready for this? Abide and abound with a bud. That's it. 
No need to trademark it. No one will steal that. We are not worried. We are not worried. Abide. I really believe God is inviting us to learn how to live out of that habitation reality, the fact that he's not going to leave us. We don't have to run. But seeking looks differently. We're seeking him with expectation because we know he's there. We're looking to him to draw into that circumstance, whatever he has for us, that we're living with him moment by moment. And so we're going we're gonna to hit that one hard from a lot of different angles. Abound, I'm begging you to take the seminar. If you haven't read my book, get the book. If you can't afford the book, I'll give it to you. And so, um, but not you people on live stream. You get, you get nothing. And so... Um, <laughs> You know what? Let's just close. Stand up. (laughs) Here's how I want to close this. I want you guys, I know we're going to run out of room. We may have to shove it down the aisles here a little bit. But um, I want you guys to come and line up across the front in rows like an army. I'm going to make some declarations over you. Some of you, this is a perfect chance for you to escape. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going up. By the way, as people are coming up, I just want to just, uh, man, I just want to thank our staff uh, at both campuses. You guys, man, you, you guys put in when nobody's looking. Our volunteers, our, our media crew, our uh, nursery workers, our, our, our whole children's ministry, the, uh, the worship team. I mean, you know, they don't just show up on Sundays and, and are that good, you know. And, you know, our ushers, our greeters, our ministry teams just every week just pouring into people, uh, the people who, you know, man, the, the healing chairs, just, just so much. Guys, just thank you. You guys are awesome. It, ma- it makes a difference for people to come in, and you, do, you host people so well. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Are right, you guys ready? Yes. You guys feel like an army? All right. Hoo-ah. All right, here we go. So um, one morning I woke up and I, uh, I just kind of had this idea of like, you know, like when you see like a dictionary definition of a church, you know, like church and like does like the phonetic spelling of it. And so I actually posted this on Facebook, but here, uh, here's who you guys are. This is, this is the church. And um, these are all from scripture. So if anyone has a problem, you can argue with God. Okay. <laughs> I just felt good to say it was so unnecessary, but I felt good. Here's who you are as the church. You are a company of people on earth God is using to be a visual aid of what he is like. You are a terrorist training camp to destroy the works of the devil. You are the family of God conducting his family business, which is on earth as it is in heaven, until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. You are the fiancé of Jesus. You are God's plan A to reconcile all things visible and invisible to his son. There is no plan B. You are those who have been impregnated with the DNA of God, resulting in you becoming a container of his glory and blessing. You are those who have been enfolded into Christ like an ingredient into cookie dough. You are those who have been entwined with the life of Christ like a piece of rope woven together. You are those who have been blessed before you deserved it. You now have access to everything heaven contains. 
You are a group of people from every tribe and nation who have been adopted by God, and now Father delights to treat you as if you were Jesus himself. You are the hope of the world and the hope for this region. Lord, I bless your people. Lord, I just bless the most dangerous group in Columbus who are all in. They're not half in, they're all in. God, we want, we want to stand before you one day and hear those words, well done. So I pray that you would help us to abide and abound with a bud this season. God, that we would learn to live in the reality that you're already there. And when we don't feel it, we would faith it. And when we faith it, we know that we'll begin to experience the reality of it. That, Lord, we would abound in our finances, God, that we could be more generous, that we could be promiscuously generous, that we could actually shape world history with our finances. Lord, I pray for the person who feels so hopeless in that, that you would break that off of them and that they would see that you're a good father and you got nothing but good gifts for your kids. And Lord, I just pray you would help us to father differently, that Lord, you would give us revelation on what that looks like. So Lord, we do desire to have an impact on this city. Lord, I would love to sow churches of 500. Lord, we love you. I bless your people in the name of Jesus. Hey, before we close out here, is there anybody you're in here today and you do not know Jesus? You've been hearing us talk about this, and maybe God's been working on your heart for a while here, but you've never come to that point where you've trusted Jesus with your life, where you say, you know what, I want Jesus to lead my life. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You may not understand fully what that means, but you're recognizing he's good enough that he can be trusted with your life. You know, there was something he did. He came. He died in your place. Jesus took what you deserved so you can get what he deserved. It's a completely unfair exchange. He's been pursuing you your whole life, and maybe you're here today, and you're saying, you know what, this is my day to surrender. This is my day to give up. This is my day to, to trust Jesus, not just trust what he did on the cross. That's a part of it. I'm trusting him with my whole life. And Jesus, I want as much of you in my life as possible. If you're here today and you've never done that, but you're feeling God tug in your heart, you're saying, you know what, I want that. I want to surrender to Jesus. I want him to lead my life. He's, he can do it way better than I can. If you're here today and you've never done that, or maybe it's been a while and you're saying, you know what, I want to come back to that. I'm just going to ask you to be bold and just raise your hand. We want to pray with you. Is there anybody in here today and you're saying, you know what, I want, to, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to trust Jesus. Please don't scratch your noses. You're messing me up here. <laughs> anybody in here? I just want to take my time. All right, we've got the family crowd today. Be Jesus to your waiters and waitresses. Be Jesus to your children's workers. Be Jesus in the parking lot to other people. And uh, guys, I really do feel like those are God, uh, the marching orders from Jesus to abound, to abide, and to abound with a bud. And so just walk that through with us. God bless you guys.